Welcome to City Council. I'm Paula Viganalan, and I'm really excited because today we have a guest that I made friends with through Twitter. This is our first time seeing each other in, in Zoom person, but it's Ken Klippenstein, investigative reporter from The Intercept and Twitter King. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. I wanted to get like a little bit of your background because I just know you through the dude on Twitter who like troll senators. <laughs> you had a whole background before that where you worked for the young Turks and now you're at The Intercept. Can you like tell me a little bit about your background? Let's see. The first story I remember that I ever had, like actual story of Scoop, was the torture report had come out and this was during the beginning of the Obama administration or maybe the middle of the Obama administration. And I remember, so the, the Senate report was, was uh, the declassified version was released and they were all talking about how clearly awful it was. And I thought, oh, you know, the author of the torture reports, uh, John Yu, he was like, worked for the Office of Legal Counsel under the Justice Department at the time. He's a professor at a public university and public institutions, you can FOIA, you can send a Freedom of Information Act request too. So I FOIA'd his emails and uh, in them, it, he was basically dodging press and being asked by a secretary, sir, you're being you know, offered a chance to defend the torture program on, on, I don't remember what cable network it was. And he's like, no, thank you. And that was my first story was, was uh, torture memos author uh, didn't want to defend his own program. And then oh at that God. point, at that point, I was hooked. It was like so funny to me that you could like find this stuff and embarrass these awful people. Yeah, <laughs> you're like can... euphoria everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. Do you, and is Beth your lawyer for your FOIA investigations? Yeah. yeah, what's interesting about her is she's a public defender, career public defender. So she's going up against cops all the time uh, over the course of just, you know, defending uh, poor and indigent people that can't afford uh, counsel for themselves. And from that experience, she got really good at dislodging records from from you know government agencies because she's constantly fighting with them for records that could you know uh, clear or help her defend her clients. That's so awesome. So that's your first story that you got into. And how old were you when you did that? I don't remember. Maybe like twenty six. And have you? What were you doing before that? Um, <laughs> no, nothing very uh, productive. I worked for a concrete company, <laughs> like paving really? driveways, and I was disastrously bad at it. Like. <laughs> People look at how aggressively I've been pushing my newsletter and, you know, they might take from that, oh, this is an entrepreneurial guy. He's not afraid to, you know, push things. Turns out if I believe in the thing, then I'm not shy to push it. But if I don't, then it's very hard for me. And I didn't really like pressuring people into buying stuff that I thought that they didn't need. So I was, I, I had my swing at the business world. It was just like unmitigated disaster. I had like the lowest sales of like anyone they had, so ever, funny. they had ever worked with. My dad's a civil engineer and I just met the person who's in charge of like the American Concrete Association <laughs> or something. And I was like, I want to get her on the pod because it's like <laughs> such a nerdy thing. I'm like, I really like like weird shit like that. I also want to like do an episode about fences. This is so stupid, but I used to take road trips with my parents a lot. And I'm like, how do they know which fences to use for like which farmland? And I was like, I want to get into that. It's so stupid. My dad is a civil engineer and he gets like really into like tunnel talk and stuff. And I can feel it come out in me. And I'm like, God damn. Um, <laughs> so you're an engineer, you're, you're a tunnel wonk, huh? I'm a biomedical engineer, but I've been to more civil engineering conferences because of my dad. So I'm like always like learning about like tunnels and bridges and shit. And that's how he like navigates any city. He'll be like, that bridge was built in this year by this company and actually had this issue. And we're like, okay, dad, calm down. Um, but yeah, it was cool. It's how I got to see the Panama Canal is like one of their engineering conferences was there, cool. which was dope. Okay. You started out at 26 after your concrete business. Um, and then what did you, what are like some highlights of your investigative journalism career that like mean something to you or that you know, were like difficult stories to get. 
Uh, some of the ones I'm proudest of are the ones that don't connect the best necessarily, but um, I guess someone that did well in terms of public reaction and then Congress following up on it was the uh, reporting I've done on Amazon and the conditions that you know workers have to experience and the unionization efforts. I had a story a few months back about um, a chat app that they were working to deploy that would literally just like just like Stalin style, just like remove certain words. And those words oh, have yeah. to do with like minimum wage, labor conditions, union, the word union. I think even the word ethics was, was going to be blocked. out. It was like Damn. so over the top. It's you like, know, don't like, say gay, but for your, your cart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm, this is the kind of story that I, in getting the documentary, you know, basis for it. So it's like very strong evidence from someone I trust, but I'm just like, this is so off the wall. Like, how is this true? And I, spent just a couple of days like trying to verify it because it just was so insane that I couldn't believe they would do that and risk it, you know, leaking and coming out. But it turns out that they did. Yeah, that's wild. I remember that story coming out and that like took off online for sure. And then you were, how long were you at the Young Turks for? Um, I think like two or three years. Um, what, I'm not, what, I'm not great on time. I'm a very fluid time <laughs> person. So, so you'll have to fact check me. <laughs> what, um, what was your time like there? Like what kind it, of, stories you'd explore how did you like it i've worked at such weird places that it, it's been kind of a good experience because they're very like youtube centric and like mm. i'm not a video guy i just don't have that kind of uh, like screen charisma you know like mm. i just don't have it and but it was cool being around people who did and you could learn kind of how the tv and like visual world work because it's like a medium that people consume information through so much now like i was yeah looking at data. it's everything Right. On like, um, not just Instagram. Now, apparently Instagram is the boomer thing. And now it's like TikTok. I can't keep yeah. up with all the new things. And it's like all of this video stuff. But it was interesting. Like I, what I found is, uh, you know, I do a written article and then I'll try to like go on someone's show. And because that's what people actually want. Like nobody reads oh. it, you know, so just going on shows can be really useful to reach ordinary people, you know? Yeah. To like promote your article. Yeah, hopefully get some kind of, you know, public uh, engagement with it. So that's something when when things get a lot of viewers, that's when Congress tends to actually do something about it. That is you know? so funny that in order to be anything, including an investigative journalist, you have to become an influencer. Basically, Damn. yeah. You have to make reels to promote like ethics at Amazon. That well, sucks. <laughs> I'm so bad at that stuff that I just find people that are good at it. And then I just go like, hey, uh, you might be interested in this. And then they'll make something about it. I was getting background info on you before this podcast and I looked you up on one of those like celebrity sites <laughs> and it was like your net, wor net worth is $5 million and you're a renowned YouTuber. And I was like, some part of this is not right. <laughs> oh, they're, they're lowballing me. I'm like 10 billion now. So oh, I, don't wow, know where get, I don't know where they're getting their money, their, their figures from. Oh man. Okay. I have a gotcha question, which we can cut out because I am a pussy, but sure. what did you, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Your former boss at the Young Turks, Cenk, uh, how do yes, you say Cenk. Cenk. Cenk supported Rick Caruso openly on Twitter. What did you think of that? I, I guess I'll say that there's a lot of stuff that we don't agree with. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, when I work with him, it, it might surprise you. Um, but I don't know. He was like a very sweet guy yeah. when I worked there. And I came in sort of skeptical because I, you know, I'd heard a lot of, you know, the, it, the Young Turks, it, it, it draws a lot of strong reactions, but like he gave me a lot of space to do what I wanted to do, which is like the most, to me, the most important thing. Yeah. Um, did a lot of stuff on Saudi Arabia back then, which oh, wow. is like a difficult subject to report on a lot of people. There's, we're surprised that there's a lot of Gulf money sloshing around Washington. And because of that, there's not a lot of appetite for scrutiny on those sort of subjects. And that was a, that was a good place to do those sort of things. Cause they don't, they really don't care what Washington thinks of them. 
That's awesome. I love, I don't know why you don't do more video. That was very, that was an incredible sidestep. <laughs> I know, right? I was all set up for it. I just, I'm I like, all right, it. come on, Kellyanne. Uh <laughs> I'll be like, Blake, it's like the Blake Masters thing. I'm do people can tell when you're trying to do something that you don't, that's not in you. It's not in you. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. so I don't know. Um, I wasn't going to force something that didn't, didn't work. Fair enough. Saudi Arabia, what countries are you not allowed in, do you think, <laughs> based on your journalism? <laughs> Every time I fly to Dubai because I have family there, I'm like, bitch, you may not leave, but this is the price. You know? <laughs> well, I don't know if it was my journalism or my last name that would bar me from oh, visiting Saudi okay. Arabia. Okay, very but fair. Probably fair. probably Saudi Arabia, maybe the, Emir the Emirates. Um, yeah. so it seems increasingly like uh, you know, people that are critical of Israel having problems getting in there. So, oh, yeah. I don't know, maybe that whole, that whole region may be sort of fraught. Damn. Okay. That's your flyover states. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are there specific stories that like, is there a common thread in the stories that interest you or is it just anything that jumps out at you? I feel like you're, you've, you're like a troll in a good way. You're like a troll for good. Right. So I feel like those stories must like ignite something in you. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's interesting. You're unpacking the psychology of Kenny's clip, <laughs> which is I see something that really irritates me and strikes me as sort of unjust, and that motivates me to try to dig and, and find things. I, I would definitely say that because I jump around so much. If you look at the stories, Saudi Arabia, it's labor rights, it's elections, it's Ron Trump, you know, like you'd look at it and be like, wow, that's such a hodgepodge. Like, what is the unifying thing? It really is just seeing something and grinding my teeth and getting so angry about it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find something about this fucker. <laughs> you know? they, do not make an enemy of Ken Kopenstein. <laughs> um, is there like something like what triggers you as unjust? Like, is there a, is it like, like the working man you know what it was for the, over or you know what it was for the amazon series it was i think it was the spokesperson um was was saying uh because it was i think it was bernie sanders was talking about conditions in the facilities and how workers literally have like yeah. can't take bathroom breaks yeah. there were people taking like i don't know what the equipment is called but like things so that they could urinate inside their whatever not having to go to the bathroom and i was and and this was something that's been reported it wasn't unknown but sanders brought it up and um, I think what happened was there was the spokesperson for Amazon said, you don't really believe this, do you? Like, no one would work here if that was happening. And it had been reported by like four different outlets mm. at that point. And so I was just so irritated. They were just flagrantly lying about it because you can talk to Amazon employees and they'll openly tell you uh, that this stuff is happening. Yeah. And so at that point, I just was like, all right, well, I'm going to go find some evidence of that. This is indeed happening. Okay. So lying authority figures gets under your skin. <laughs> yes. So are there stories that you wish you could cover that you haven't been able to based on like where you've been working or like, it's just not under your purview, like random, like you're like, Oh, I wish I could cover this beef between Cardi B and <laughs> Nikki or something like that. that. That would be it. It's like the ones that are so petty that my editor is like, come on, I can't. Oh, we what can't ones are they? You know what I mean? Like, I don't even remember what it is, but it's just dumb bullshit. Like, unfortunately, I mean, my number one priority in the places that I've worked has been like, they can't, they have to let me cover what I want to cover. Cause a lot mm. of the stuff that I do is like stuff that's going to make people uncomfortable in Washington. Yeah. They don't want to hear about Saudi human rights. Cause it's embarrassing. And they're our chief, you know, uh, OPEC ally. They don't want to talk about it. So that's always been a priority. And because of that, in the places I've chosen to work at, they've been really flexible and giving me a long leash. And I'm grateful for that. But um, I don't know, maybe if there's just some, like, something particularly gets under my skin, I start saying, there's a rule. I think, I think it might, if, if you met my editor, she's very familiar with the things that I get obsessed about and having to, like, rein me in and telling me, like, yeah, no one's going to care about that sort of thing. Uh, I just want to... 
I want to see something random. I want to see like just a non regular <laughs> story come out of you, like a real investigative turn into like, I don't know, like the NBA petty shit or something. I have no idea, but that would be super fun. Do you put that in your newsletter, which we we're going to plug later as well? That actually, I was going to say that would be the place to find exactly what you're describing because it's going to be the stuff that the intercept passes on. Nice. I'm excited. I just signed up for that and y'all should. Thank do. you. So you. You've trolled senators before. What are your? I can't remember the ones that you've done, but they you were like responding. You, you had like a war criminal be William pro- Kelly, <laughs> Lute- yeah, Lieutenant William Kelly, who who murdered like Jesus Christ. It was like the biggest at the time um, atrocity in Vietnam. He just took a picture of uh, him and and it was I think it was Veterans Day, and yeah. Uh, who was? Oh yeah, it was it was the chief of intelligence under Trump. He was in charge of the entire intelligence community. Yeah, director of national intelligence. Um, what was his name? And it's like I, I try to always not. I try to not cheap shot people in the sense that I try to make it be really recognizable things that any idiot who's taken like history one hundred and one or has any familiarity with Hollywood. I, I took a, a picture of um, what was it. Um, Jack Nicholson's character in A Few Good Men. That stuff that is was, like that one was easier. I didn't know about William Kelly until you did this, and I was like, "Well, that's why you're you have to director. look shit up before right. you retweet and, it." And you're and, not the head of the yeah. intelligence community either. And so he like he you were like, "Can you wish my uncle or whatever a happy Veterans Day?" Exactly, with like a very clear photo. And I even said, "I tr- I try to make it easy because I don't want to be like just cheap shotting. I want to give them." every opportunity to not fall for it. So I even said, this is my, you know, cousin, Bill Callie. Like I gave him the name. Even. Oh he God. Him. That is so funny. <laughs> so I he mean, shouted out, he shouted out Bill Callie in his tweet. <laughs> that is so funny. I wonder like how many people's shit list you're on in, <laughs> in DC just for shit like that. So you like keep abreast of these people that you like troll or that are not politically aligned with you. Do you follow them? On, are you like, are you like notifications on for like when Trump was on or like Elon <laughs> or do you, are you like, do you have them all in your feed or do you have to go search for them? I do have them for Elon because the people that I know work at Twitter, they don't even know what's going on. And they're saying mm. like, he's micromanaging so much that if you want to find out like the best you can do and what we're all doing is literally just following what his public statements are. Cause we don't have the authority to do things and we don't have much insight into what what's going on we're gonna talk about it but it's insane that he's just like updating the twitter terms of service through his feed like how it's like, like he's calvin just like, this is- he's just right <laughs> yeah it's wild in what ways do you think because you're you're you have a huge twitter following and you kind of talked about this with like having to promote your headlines but in what ways do you think social media has like helped and or hurt your career well, for someone like me, it's helped quite a lot. Like I was yeah. never going to get a job, nor would I accept one at like the New York Times or any of those sort of very staid publications that would probably look at my Amazon reporting and be like, well, let's be fair to the uh, the C-suite. Maybe they have a reason for why they're doing this kind of thing. You know, yeah. huh? I was never going to work there. I don't want to work at one of those places. Uh, and so like the, the, the shift towards social media has really hurt those outlets. They have smaller budgets than they used to. Um, I'm probably not the best person to ask about like if that's bad or not because it hasn't affected yeah. me at all. It's probably helped me quite a lot. Um, you know, like I'm someone who's like very skeptical of the, you know, Silicon Valley utopianism. Like obviously it's all, you know, these these firms are interested in making money and and you know not what, what is I remember I was I always laugh when I would log on to Facebook back when that was relevant. It would be like Facebook connecting people and putting people together. Like obviously that's all bullshit, right? But um, it has created some space for like uh gremlins like me who don't <laughs> fit into the regular thing um so i'm i'm grateful for that uh 
I guess it's kind of an open question because it's like the the newsroom budgets have declined so much. It's really bad that there that there's no resources for local reporting anymore because that's really where you can make the biggest difference because yeah. you're not up against these monoliths and massive amounts of corporate money. Um, and and um, you know the shift towards just national politics for everything of which I've been a beneficiary. You know I don't dispute that. So I think that you know in some I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I think it's been improvement in some ways and things have gotten worse in others. Have you, I mean, you have to have experienced backlash personally on there. Has there any been, are you like fortified security wise? <laughs> Do you have like two, two factor verification on? Do you I, have like the delete me go like, so you don't get doxxed all everything up and running? I'm very aggressive about cyber security because I don't want my sources to get in trouble. Yeah. But for me, I don't really care. Like I'm not taking a fraction of the risk. I've had people leak stuff to me that they could get in very big trouble for leaking. It's the sources that are taking risks uh, as the reporter. Are you worried about like your family and stuff? They've gotten weird stuff occasionally, but it's not really been that bad. And they're smart enough not to engage with it that, that it hasn't, you know, intensified and probably being a dude too makes it better like it's less cre- there's less of the creepy oh what factor. are you talking about <laughs> right <laughs> um speaking of your family you have two parents your dad is uh in a professor right he's an he uh, was he oh, works he at was. a national lab now argon right right well, maybe you should dad. be maybe you should be the investigative reporter because gonna- i gotta say <laughs> Media have interviewed me before. Nobody has done as deep of a dive as you have. You don't even know yet. We're gonna go into that. But and then, do you have a do you have siblings? Yes, three younger siblings. I'm the oldest. Oh shit! What do they do? Um, <laughs> I was kind of the black sheep. None of them are in politics. Oh, interesting. <laughs> they're, I, they're pretty much all in finance. Damn. So I'm the non. What does that immigrant, feel like? <laughs> uh, I don't. I mean, it is. You know, I don't mind, but. Uh, immigrant mother so she really wanted me to do that I think she was always sort of anguished that I wasn't interested in any of that that's really interesting that you're like the older sibling and you're the black sheep I'm the younger sibling and I'm the black sheep of the family which tends to be I feel like more frequent or prevalent in families especially for like immigrant families like my brother has an MD PhD and is a software engineer now <laughs> and oh God, I like, so you know you know how it is yeah this I quit is the my stuff... PhD for stand-up so <laughs> that's yeah, like before before journalism worked out for me, it was always these reminders like, you know, why don't you go work where your sister's working? Or why do you make it? Why do you make an app? People are making apps. They make so much money out of this these days. That was, that was so the messaging funny. I got from my mom for the longest time. My I opened for Jay Leno recently a few a couple times. And my mom was like, why don't you just like, first of all, send me pictures, which she I could you can't just ask like celebrity comedians that you're working with for pictures because it's like fangirly. You know what I mean? But my mom was like really mad. I didn't get pictures with Jay Leno. And then she was like, just open for him. And I'm like, I can't just you have to like ask people. They have to like your stuff. He's a clean, mostly clean. And now he's talking about porn a lot on stage, which is a very interesting turn. But (laughs) I'm like, you can't, they're like, just be on SNL. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll just be on SNL. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> do you, you get, you must I'm get the equivalent of this where my parents are just like, so what did Biden think about this? And I'm like, do you think I have a direct line? To no, 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 no. You have no fucking clue. I work at Crooked Media. John Lovett <laughs> is my boss, right? Literally when Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she passed away, my mom WhatsApped me, very Indian, a YouTube video <laughs> that my cousin had sent her about how the Democrats can fill her seat, like what strategically, it was a YouTube video of what they need to do. And she literally was like, send this to the Democratic Party. <laughs> and I was like, 
like the whole party and she was like yeah you know obama right and i was like no and she was like i tried calling the democrats in utah but they didn't she found a phone number <laughs> to like call them and then she when the vice presidential debates were happening in utah she was like get me tickets and i'm like it's peak covid get the fuck away from there like mike pence is not vaccinated get out of there this is not happening so yeah, they think I know Obama, which that's also how trolls online, when I speak out about like, when I'm like, oh, like these war crimes are terrible. They're like, you work for Obama who sent drones. And I'm like, I write dick jokes on a podcast. Like, I don't think you know what power I have, but it's not yeah, the that. way that I get that readership. Um, they do the transitive property of, oh, so you cited CIA sources. So you're working for the CIA. Like, ah. it's very interesting to me how they jump from. I talk yeah. to somebody, therefore you're working for them kind of thing. Yeah, I've had like, but I've had that with like people who are like comedians or who are like leftists and they think that I'm like a hypocrite for writing on a comedy podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'll tell him to his face. Like, I don't give a shit. Right. He's not going to fire me. <laughs> so we're going to jump into the trivia game and... This is hard to do with you because like you're where I get my news from, <laughs> like of like what's happening on Twitter half the time. So I had to go elsewhere for this. I had to go to unfortunately Reddit for some of these things. But <laughs> here we go. We're going to try and see if you can answer these questions. Who is Alec Baldwin currently suing? Uh, I do not know. Yes. I stumped him. The armor and other people associated with the movie Russ after he shot a gun on set that killed Helena Hutchins. Did you see his instant? Your, your face is like perfect. For I, I, for I knew the sh I knew about the shooting and that was yeah. the extent of that what was, I knew. So that happened a year ago on October 21st. Did you see his Instagram post about it? Okay, no. hold on. I'm going to send it to you. He posted on October 21st. He posted a picture of Helena Hutchins behind camera. And then his caption was, one year ago today dot 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 as though he was reminiscing about it like oh in God. a positive way and i was like why would you do that why would you leave it up it wasn't even like rest in peace it was just like a year ago today i killed this one <laughs> it was Jesus insane Christ. yeah okay recently re researchers discovered what that the nazis had destroyed these are all open-ended because my former podcast co-host would just get them right immediately because we're both online too much in the same Jesus area. Christ, I don't, I don't know. It was copies of a complete fossil of an ichthyosaur, which is a really cute-ass dinosaur. And what had why happened... Why did they destroy it? So what happened... Why did the Nazis destroy it? It was... <laughs> The original was discovered in 1819, but it was lost to a bombing of collections of the London Museum during World War II. And then they found copies or able to track down copies of them recently. So it's like copies, like molds of the original, uh, but the original is still lost. Oh, I see. So they didn't specifically mean to destroy it. No, it was, like it was just bombings. with, yeah. I, I thought they were doing the book burnings and taking it like way back. Were... <laughs> and it's like denying the like, what the were books of dinosaurs to dinosaurs fossils? <laughs> A Turkish baker's union head was arrested for calling bread eating societies what? Haram. I don't know. That's, oh, <laughs> interesting. Kind of stupid. The Union for Bread Producers Chair, Sihan Kolivar, I'm totally mispronouncing that, was arrested after saying bread is the staple food for stupid societies. Since our society eats their fill with bread, such rulers have been ruling it for 20 years. So don't want to be head of a baker's union and say fuck bread, but also don't want to arrest a man who just said fuck bread, you know? 
very um, weird thing. It's very Mad Max, where it's like, do not fall prey to the need for water, for you will resent the the, the desire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the bread. It also reminds me of like when Trump appointed everybody who would destroy the agencies they were in charge of. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Betsy DeVos was in charge of education so she could tear it apart from the inside out. It's like this guy has gone undercover in the Baker Union <laughs> to destroy bread. Okay, this next one is super based. In the UK, Patrick Thelwell, a 23-year-old student at the University of York, was arrested for throwing eggs at King Charles and the Queen Consort, which still sounds like a fancy way to say homewrecker. And his punishment is what? He was arrested for throwing eggs. What's his punishment? Well, it's the UK, so it's going to have to be something really silly. Like maybe oh, he has to yeah. wear one of those fuzzy hats in front of the embassy or whatever. That's, I don't know that's, what... how they, that's how they get all of the, right. the soldiers. Right, it's just punishment, right. He was charged with an offense. I don't know what the like exactly the terms of it was, but he was banned from carrying eggs in public. <laughs> He's like no longer allowed to carry eggs in public, which is hilarious because it's like if he – is it like – is, does it work like a restraining order? Like if he's caught within 500 feet of eggs, does he get arrested? You know what I mean? Like, can he never go to brunch again? What about deviled eggs? Those are like, those aren't real eggs, you know? <laughs> but he said he had a like really, eggs? I know. Yeah. What about kinder eggs? Right. Um, he had a really like based response. It was after I was arrested, he had all these people like yelling at him and spitting on him and stuff. And he was like, it doesn't faze me because I understand what fascism is, what it looks like. It's just so revealing to see when you challenge someone's beliefs in that way, the belief of the superiority of this man's blood. He said he was protesting for, you know, people to bring awareness to climate change. And he was like, this is a man who dresses in stolen jewels from India and Africa and every other colony. We have a government that are enacting fascist policies, particularly by their treatment of refugees, the media whipping up hatred. I don't believe in borders. I don't believe in nation states. I believe in people. This man believes in people more than he believes in eggs. Fucking hell yeah, Patrick Thelwell. I love it. This one you're going to know, but I have to say it on here. What did KFC recently get in trouble for? Uh, I assume labor rights violations. No, but probably. I'm surprised you don't know this one. They had their the German app had an alert that said it's Memorial Day for Kristallnacht. Treat oh yourself God. with more tender cheese on your crispy chicken now at KF Cheese. And as we know, Kristallnacht was uh, attacked by Nazis. That is largely believed to be the beginning of the Holocaust. And I just want to say <laughs> shout out to everyone who has the KFC app. Like who has? <laughs> Who has the KFC app? Who has? Have you ever downloaded a food app before? I didn't know that you could. You can. <laughs> I have never downloaded a food app, but I do have white women friends who have the Starbucks app, but I just like automatically assumed it just came preloaded in their phone because they're white women. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just like well, Starbucks the YouTube album little... was in there. <laughs> right. Like I could see you're getting the rewards or whatever, but who's going to KFC often enough that's Drop. like something you're like driving, you're like on a road trip or something and you swing. And who has like notifications on? This is like multi-layer. <laughs> who was who was like, okay, this is embarrassing to admit, but I need to tell someone what happened on the KFC. <laughs> <laughs> and like an hour later, they issued an apology about it, which is like, what an hour, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what you call a PR whoopsie. Is yeah, they said it was like an off. error. And I'm like, there's no fucking error that would have drafted that. Like, is an oh, AI running your app? Right. I have no idea. What big event is happening this weekend at Mar-a-Lago? Um, well, he's making his announcement, but that's not this weekend. That's on Tuesday, right? He's announcing, I assume, his yeah. campaign. So I don't know. 
Tiffany I'm Trump's be like, wedding. You're, I think it's going to be a shutout. You need to lower your expectations of what, what it is that I know. My, <laughs> oh. my knowledge base is like, an, it, you know, maybe it's a mile deep, but it's like an inch wide. It's like. I had to like again. go to things that I did not see retweeted from you <laughs> like, or like tweeted from your account. I just, I'm like, oh, I should quiz him on this. Oh, he's the one who tweeted it. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. This is a good. No, if you're trying to get into psychology of me, this is a good way because you see how one track I am. Like I know a lot about a few specific things and then absolutely nothing else about like basically everything else. You're like a dog with a car. No, exactly. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. It's Tiffany Trump's wedding, which led me to the question. If you had a life event that you had to have take place at Mar-a-Lago, what life event would it be? It could be like birthday, wedding, funeral, uh, bar mitzvah. What would, which one of those events would you allowed to take place at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, whatever one that would let me go on the golf course because I want to see the the ex-wife's gravestone, Grace. which is apparently right next to a, like a sand trap in the no. golf course. <laughs> and I saw a picture of it. And I thought this was like a resistance liberal like satire thing because yeah. it was so far. It was like just a dirt patch. Oh, yeah. It was really I bad. It, I thought it was fake. And I looked it up and it's totally real. <laughs> It's like right by a sand trap. So you want to pay homage to Ivana Trump? If you want to call it that, but I just really want to see it in person. It's like so funny to me. I feel like that would that would be a funeral because that's probably where he'd bury yeah. you too. So it'd be for your funeral. <laughs> I'm glad he's doing something because she's the she's the disfavored one, right? Like she's the one that he never talks about. Yeah, Tiffany? because didn't he? Oh, Tiffany, Tiffany. Yeah, she's the one. Who, but she also like steers clear of like media coverage too because oh so she's that. trying not to interesting i don't i mean i don't know that's just a result you know what i mean yeah. um also there's like a really amazing picture of um him with tiffany and because of this week's events he looks so fucking sad as he, they're at the rehearsal dinner and he's like hold like arm in arm walking with tiffany into the event and he just looks so sad and like nothing's about her like he barely is aware of her existence Okay, what app is this one? I don't think you'll get. What app is David Henry, actor from Wizards of Waverly Place, on? You're really aging me here because that's like I know that show from when my little sister used to watch it. Yeah, it wasn't well... like we're like about the same age, and so it was like I didn't watch it, but I knew it was I was aware of it. Oh, you were the youngest though. So how did you know? Oh, I I'm 33. So like I just oh like how did I know about it? Right, like you I didn't have know. any younger siblings. I didn't have younger siblings, but it was like the TV was on, and also like I have like I guess like cousins and I don't know, just like it was I was just aware of all the Disney shit. Just was try, it was on. it was so popular, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, Selena Gomez came out of that. Occasionally, I'll do a thing where I'm like, this young person do we like them? And then I'll like look into them and their like backgrounds and stuff and be like, okay, they seem fine. You know what I mean? So I like knew flipping through the channels who Selena Gomez was kind of. And then once she like got a singing career, you were like made more aware of her, you know? Yeah. Gosh, let me think. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of all the new apps that I can't keep up with. Twitch. That's like the big one. That's one of the big no, ones. No, you are so old sounding. <laughs> Twitch is not an app, dude. dude I'm it's telling you, I'm so out of touch. Service. Okay, damn. well, no, I mean, it's not a streaming, but it's like a streamers service. But no, it's Hallo, the number one Catholic app where you can pray with him and he talks about his Bible story and stuff. So that's fun. He played with Black Magic on Disney Channel and now he's been reformed. 
When you said hello, I thought, oh, is he keeping with the wizard, the wizard theme? And no, but I think that's like not. partly where they're pulling him in. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's either like it. really dark or Catholic, which is kind of the same thing. <laughs> probably honestly. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now we're going to pivot into more trivia. This is a surprise for you. But this trivia game is called, what does your dad study? Because <laughs> I want to know how much you know about, because you tweeted about your dad. And that's why I like looked him up. So I want to know like how much you know about his research. Like, do you know what he does? You know, he works really, at the Argonne really National yeah. Labs. <laughs> yeah, something about, because it's funny, he wins these awards and I try to look at the underlying. Your dad is fucking baller. Yeah. <laughs> your dad is so awesome. I try to look at these, the mathematics behind it and it's just incomprehensible it looks like hieroglyphs i'm not kidding like I, I couldn't there's stuff that is like i don't understand but i could get to the point where i would understand this mm. stuff i would never understand no matter how hard i try it's just i don't have the genetics for it or whatever the hell it takes to think that way um but something to do this is very funny because no one in our family knows what he does but <laughs> my best my best guess that's a running joke is something about combustion physics or something uh, so, yeah so he applies like so he talks everything's like in the all of what he studies is like gas phase kinetics so it's like stuff in the gas phase recently i think some of his latest publications have been about like nitrogen specifically but he applies it to like combustion and like atmospheric chemistry and like other stuff and he's been getting into like computational shit, which is cool. So oh, I yeah, was... your bio, your biochem, right? So you, I'm biomedical, and beyond that, okay. Wait, do you know what? So he works at Argonne. Do you know where he got his PhD and his postdoc? Uh, Caltech. That's where I went to undergrad. Really? There yeah. you go. You would have a good conversation. Every kid that we, so we, you know, big family, three siblings. Every kid, you could tell he's like, all right, is this going to be the science one? Is this going to be the science? And it's just Aww. total strikeout. Nobody, nobody had it. No one. There cared. was there was like a former. I I I was in student leadership there, and you meet all these like fucking Nobel Prize winners and shit. And there was like a former president. I was like at a dinner with President of Caltech, and I asked him about his kids, and he like invented shit. I forget exactly. He was a physicist he invented something to do with microscopes, but his kids were like, one was like a farmer, one studied religion, one was like in English, another was into music and he got like nothing from them. Exactly, like, exactly. I'm sorry, man. Like, yeah. Sometimes the gene pool deals you uh, four wild cards in succession. It's so fun though. <laughs> I got really hyped when I saw that your dad went to Caltech because we have like trauma that we can bond over. Uh, <laughs> although like undergrads and grad I was going to say students, undergrads probably harder. Because grad is like you've already so focus so focus on what you're cho yeah, what you've chosen. But it's like they 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 would give pamphlets to the grad students about the undergrads, and they would be like, "They're socially awkward. Just like <laughs> deal with them like this." Because they would be like our TAs and stuff. Yeah. And then like I remember sometimes like some of the kids in my class would like it was they like bullied the TAs because they had like more like knowledge <laughs> than the TAs did about certain stuff and there were times like they pushed them to the brink they were like <laughs> it was bad it was like all every kid who like raised their hand too much in class went like all gathering together at that school <laughs> as undergrads <laughs> um do you know what the H index is and what your dad's is nope the H index is the Hirsch index and it's like how impactful the publications of a professor or like a, a publisher are in science. And your dad's at an 87, which is fucking ball. What's that? How, what is high. it out of? Is it out of a hundred? I don't know. I don't know the full range, but like early professors are like eight or like 10 or whatever. Huh. So it's like, I have to look up the formula for it, but it's like, it's pretty dope. 
Your dad's published a lot. Yeah, no, a lot, my, a lot. If you want to summarize my understanding, it's like that scene from that meme from um, Je- Jesse Pinkman, where he's like, "Science, bitch." <laughs> That's yeah, me. just yeah. like whatever it is he's doing, it looks great. You tweeted something about your dad, and then I became obsessed with him, and I'm like, I want to <laughs> hang out with this man. <laughs> That's why I did this trivia game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now we're going to go into the actual headlines, which you will know more about, which I will lean on you more for. So I just want to talk about like what's happening with the midterms right now. There were some like really dope wins. I went over this in the last podcast episode, but right now, have you seen what's happening in Maricopa County in Arizona? Yeah. They have like protesters out there just fucking going crazy. To see, you know, national networks out there and their hosts saying, not being truthful about why it's taking this period of time. That's frustrating to these people back here who are doing an incredible job working through Veterans Day weekend and then to have that spread out there nationally to raise quite, you know, yeah, I'm going to stand up for my state. I am going to stand up for my state. Maybe not everyone here is, but I am. We're doing things the right way. And I appreciate that you're all here, but we're not doing anything wrong at all. And that someone from here would suggest that we are doing something wrong. That's frustrating. Unfortunately named Bill Gates, the chair of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors is trying to like calm protesters down outside because like Carrie Lake and Charlie Kirk and Trump have like whipped them up into a frenzy saying that fraud is happening when they're literally just counting the votes, which is insane. Carrie Lake is like losing. This is the problem. I saw this thread of Maricopa County's statements and I was like, is this a fake check mark? <laughs> because they were like telling voters that all their votes will be counted. And at the very end of their thread, they were like, social media bots, your disapproval is duly noted, but your upvotes and retweets will not be a part of this year's totals. This is not meant as an affront to your robot overlords. It's just not allowed for in Arizona law. And I was like, <laughs> is this another Eli Lilly? What is happening? Blake Masters is kind of playing footsie with that stuff too. I don't know if you saw a statement. Uh, you know, no, AP, I didn't. The AP called it already. And he's saying, we will count every last vote. Yeah. And, you know, it's not decided. And it's like pretty clear there's no mathematical, you know, path to victory for him. So, um, yeah, it just feels like they are giving a wink and a nod to the, to the segment of the base that's into this stuff. Yeah, I don't know what those protesters expect to accomplish because they're just going to like count the votes and then go home unless it becomes another like insurrection moment. They're still still out there. On the other side of this, I saw this tweet. I don't know if you saw it. They're saying that if all the Harris County votes in Texas had been counted, Beto O'Rourke would have won, but they stopped because they said they ran out of paper ballots and that people were like sent away or that their ballots weren't counted. So it's like, it's like not fraud, but it's like accusations in the opposite direction of votes not being like voter disenfranchisement. So I don't know. think really yeah, there's something really ironic. Is. There's something really ironic about it because the Republicans opposed an attempt to better fund that infrastructure. I can't remember the specifics of it. I don't remember if it was like more infrastructure for counting like mail-in ballots, but they opposed it. And it's like now they're experiencing the consequences of that decision and they're really not liking it. It's like, well, maybe you should have supported the legislation that would have better fi- financed being able to count these things in the first place. So we don't yeah. have to wait. Being able to count them, giving accessibility to their own voters. There are people on there are people on both sides who can't get to to vote like on the day of. So like telling your voters to like bring ID and show up that day and like not 
have any preparation for it otherwise it's not conducive to you winning a fucking election <laughs> you really think it through yeah what are your thoughts overall on how the midterms went down i mean you know i was surprised i think like everyone at how well the democrats did um i was a little bit skeptical here in washington there was a lot of buzz about internal polling that the republicans have that shows that it's going to go really badly and not to say that i thought it was going to go this well but i was a little skeptical of all these you know, shattery internal polls that nobody saw, but we're just hearing reference to from, from, you know, prominent conservatives on the Hill here who was, you know, disseminating these kind of rumors. Um, and to some extent, I think they really kind of bought into their own narrative. And you see this when I'm writing on, you know, foreign conflict, like a really interesting tendency you see is where when nation states engage in propaganda, there's a tendency over time for them to start believing it, even when they knew that it was mm. that it was garbage initially. It's like starts circulating, and over time they start thinking it too. And I think there was an element of that in this, where the Republicans were sort of gassing themselves up for this huge red red wave that uh, went, I think, way beyond what the actual polling data found. And if you look at the results, it resembles a lot like what the polling suggested was going to happen this summer. And uh, not until after that, people started thinking it was going to go significantly worse. Um, mm. But but no question, it went better than I thought it would. Yeah, I still managed to find a way to be disappointed, <laughs> even though like I was, it was like way better than it than we thought it would. But then I was like, oh, J.D. Vance and also like Ron Johnson. I was like watching those races and I was like, damn it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it J.D. Was like, Vance was going to happen. But Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes, right. that was like a lot closer than, you know, than right. expected. But yeah, what was it like one point? I don't yeah, it was like really close. I was looking at the votes like as they were filing in and it was like a couple a couple I don't know how many. Yeah, thousands, and the but... Democratic governor won too in Wisconsin. Yeah. So. yeah. so it could it was close. Our next story to go over is what's happening with Twitter. I get all my updates from you on this <laughs> because you're very good at like noting how like the divorced dad energy that Elon's giving off and all of his tweet it is so sad i want to see what his like what his bedroom furniture situation is because it doesn't feel good do you know what i mean it's very, it very like Kirk van houten in the race car oh <laughs> it's very like billionaire but still just has like a single lamp in his room which i have in my room but he's a billionaire <laughs> but he's a billionaire <laughs> but he's a billionaire so i don't know like should he be spending more time with his kids? Should he be spending more time off Twitter? He keeps tweeting things that his own, what you pointed out in your tweets, because you'll capture like all of the parody accounts at the end of the day, which has been really fun to watch. And like also the ways Community Notes has fucked him on his own site. So that's really fun to watch. What was the recent one? It was about the cost of insulin in response to Bernie, right? Right. Just instantly corrected by by his own platform, by his own supporters. It was amazing and was really like insensitive because I, you know, if you know anybody with, with um, diabetes, like it's so expensive. And so his argument, which is the same as like pharma's argument, this is like their PR line that they say is, oh, well, this inferior version of insulin that you have to inject into yourself like every hour of every day is actually affordable. Why don't you just buy the affordable one? It's only this, you know, uh, Cadillac plan version of insulin. That's just so luxurious that you have to, you only have to do it once a day. And it's like, people don't have time to be injecting themselves 12 times a day. You know, they have yeah, to work. Amazon's not going to give them a break to do that. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is, I feel like a direct hit against the Indian community because we have a large amount of diabetes in our community. 
So he's coming for my family here, man. This week has just been a shit. It feels like the early days of COVID where like every hour something was changing, but this is like for Twitter. You know what I mean? Like he's just like right, so right. up and down about what's happening. So he's fired so many people. I'm worried about the security of the site and like what's happening with our data. That's like my biggest concern right now. Cause like, I don't see it. Do you see it? Do you think it's going to be ending? Do you think it's going to go down? Yeah, I think there's going to be a huge crisis, after which point everyone is going to say, how could we let this happen? And we're in the period now where we're letting this happen. I mean, the FTC put out a statement saying we are watching the events unfolding at Twitter very closely yeah. because they have a mandate to you know, worry about consumer privacy and, and, and things like that. And you know, when a government agency says something like that publicly, yeah, that should raise a lot of concern. I mean, I think it's unavoidable at this point because he's literally just axed like half the company. They do not yeah. have the manpower to be able to run these things. And I'm not, you know, a huge tech guy, but I know people who are, they were telling me that they're seeing evidence that the site is being run in, in dev mode, which is kind oh, of Oh yeah. Like I, I talked about craziness. that. There was, there was like a TikTok about it from at dork toast. And I talked about it last episode where it's, yeah, it's being run in uh, the product is being run in dev mode, which is insane. It's like the, um, I'm translating here because I don't know this stuff, but I, I get, it's it's like running some, it's like uh, you have a prototype of a new type of plane that you've never tried to fly before. And you put a bunch of passengers in it and send them off and say, good luck. Yeah. Like that works for you. And it might, but it could well not because nobody's tested it. I really was wondering that when they rolled out Twitter blue so quickly, like at his whim, when they didn't have anybody there, you know, like to handle all of that. Cause they could, they barely can handle, like they fired all like the creative side, you know what I mean? And I don't yeah. feel like they're withholding that type of vengeance for the engineers. And I feel like any, like all of those engineers probably want to leave immediately knowing. And they also put out a statement that didn't Elon say like, Oh, you have to make sure that you're following the rules to the engineers, but then simultaneously some of the people in higher positions at Twitter were like, oh, but you're not going to get sued or anything if something happens. But then their lawyers like didn't know. Like it's like they don't want to have be culpable for something that Elon's doing. Right. right. And that's have... probably why these executives left. Did you see? So these yeah. aren't like rank and file people that are that either got axed or have left. Like the head of security, security the head yeah. of privacy, the head of, I don't remember what the other one was. Like these are C-suite executives. Like I, I can't think of more of a red flag for that disaster is coming. So how long are you going to stay on it? On Just Twitter? the end? Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm, this is like Titanic. <laughs> I'm like, the, yeah. whoever the guy, I never saw the Violinist. movie. Whoever the you never saw Titanic? Guy. No, I never saw. This is how, out of, you don't understand how out of touch I am. I don't know anything about popular culture. I'm hopeless. But I'm that guy. No, I'm that guy just going down and the bubble's coming up at the very end. Damn. That's that's going to be me. So what is your TikTok that you're going <laughs> to promote? Are you going to, are you, is it just going to be the newsletter? You're going to have to promote the newsletter on some just social that, media. I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a words guy. I don't have, I don't have, you know, I could try to do video. I just don't know how to do it, man. I don't have it. I don't have it you in could me. Do those, I, you could do those videos where it's just like text over a picture of you or something. <laughs> it would have to be something like that. It's just like looking at new, I mean, I do really, I, I don't have contempt for it. Like, I think it's important to meet people where they're at and, and yeah. like the reason I do this stuff, you know, I'm cynical a lot of ways, but it's kind of like, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't believe in it. And I do want to like try to inform people. And the best way to do that is to go where people are at, yeah. which is not writing, you know, and it took me a long time to realize that, but. Yeah. I just don't like looking at my face all that. Like, I'd rather just like tweet about common <laughs> than disappear. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather just like throw something into the ether and then like run away right, and then, right. then have to make like reels about it. 
And then, yeah, it's a whole, and then captioning it and everything. It's just like way more editing and like data storage too. Right. Which is like, oh God, I never even thought of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. Okay. So we're all going to be on Twitter until the end. Some people are saying that he would like have to sell and leave and Twitter would somehow be saved, but I don't know. I don't know. That's the question is what kind of bankruptcy is this going to be? Is this going to be like an airline going bankrupt where it doesn't just disappear if someone else buys it or will it just cease to exist? And that's that's sort of the big question. It's crazy how insulated these billionaires are from consequences of their actions because they always seem to find a way to weasel out of these sort of situations. He tweeted, I did it for the lulls. And it's like you fired thousands of people like without notice, you know, like and he like, I don't really give a shit about the people at the top who didn't get severance, but like there were friends of mine who work at Twitter who like don't know what they're going to do. And there was like a video of him. I don't know if you saw it, but he was like in an interview or something. And then he gets like a text and he was like, oh, like my friend says I should troll this account by stealing their memes and saying it's mine. And then he just like laughs about it. And it's like, he's, he thinks he's acting as a troll, which he is, but he's also like, that's like people's work, you know, like it's not just like memes or whatever, but like they're, he literally stole pictures of Morgan Murphy, a comedian's dog and said it was his. It's like psychotic. It's like a very low empathy guy. Yeah. And can I just point out to by the, for the lulls who has said that in 10 years, that is like a neologism from like 2012. 51 years old. Right. Like (laughs) he's so I spend time with you and Nick Cannon each just spend time with your children. (laughs) Just what do you do? Maybe it's better he's not with his children. I don't know. That's what um, I was going to say. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know if that's a good thing. Who knows? Okay. I don't know much about this story. So this is on you. The Biden student debt relief story that you wrote. Can you like summarize what's happening? What's going, what you think is going to happen? Yeah. So essentially um, these really well-funded conservative groups have just been shotgun approach. Uh, venue testing is what lawyers call it, where they just introduce all these, you know, seemingly frivolous lawsuits in a bunch of different venues in hopes that one of them will get elevated, uh, you know, into some federal court that will have the ability to um, challenge President Biden's executive order that um, allowed for the student debt relief uh, program. And so this conservative judge who was appointed by Trump in Texas, I can't remember which district it was, um, this weekend or on Friday, rather, um, decided to overturn that pursuant to a case that was introduced by this group that is funded by billion right-wing billionaires and you know their t- uh, their top donor is the Federalist Society which by the way appointed is is who that judge is a member of himself um so like very well orchestrated right-wing effort to try to do this so you know they tried to bring this to the Supreme Court Supreme Court declined to hear it which is interesting in itself because if they heard it you know it's overwhelmingly conservative, they probably would have decided a certain way for whatever reason they decided not to. So then it goes to these uh, other federal courts. So um, he ends up making this decision. It was kind of funny because the two litigants um, that brought this case, uh, they make the claim that they're being harmed by the program because they had student loans that they didn't qualify for it. And it's a very standard claim. It's like, I'm not benefiting from something, therefore it's hurting me. Like, why can anyone else have something good? If I yeah. can't kind of thing. And so I, I just looked at the case and of, without fail, of course, it's every time you pull up the one of the two um, uh, plaintiff's names and she herself got a um, PPP loan forgiven in 2020 for her business. I think it's making signs, sign making business. Um, and it was worth like twice the amount that the student loan debt <laughs> is a lot. And so I asked them for comment and they were just like, oh, there's no 
comparison. You know, one is hardworking business people, and the other one is these students that that retroactively want something wiped clean. Um, but I don't know. I just thought it was illustrative of the, um, let's say, l- lack of concern for for trans- consistency on the, on the part of a lot of these guys. It's that Bart Simpson meme where it's like, say it, say it. We got <laughs> yeah, exactly. relief. What do you think is going to happen with it? Like, do you think it's still going to go through? Like, or is there going to be like appeals made? Well, so the Department of Education has basically suspended the program at this point, uh, and the administration has to decide how they're going to respond to that. I think um, if you look at the sort of legal experts around these things, I think it's pretty clear that the president does have the authority to do that. And there's probably some debate around the margins and how that might look and how you might execute it. But I don't think there's a strong argument against it. So the question is if the administration is going to want to introduce something that's a little bit more tailored to head off some of these um, some of these kind of suits that that you can anticipate are going to come down, or, or if it gets referred to the Supreme Court and what decision uh, they're going to make. So there's two factors we don't know about, which is what is the Supreme Court going to do? And then the second one is uh, what is the administration going to do? Well, let's hope. It definitely felt like with the Biden administration, like this obviously isn't their fault. It's from coming from the conservative side, but it felt like we got like so excited about the student debt relief which was like scraps. It was like, oh, just a little bit. And then with like the weed charges being lifted and then like no one actually being released from jail, it definitely is like, we almost did something. And it still is like important to wipe their records clean. And it is something for people who have had issues getting like jobs and housing and stuff for sure. But it's like, it feels like so measured. And it was like- yeah, I feel like if they're doing this now, I'm like, do like expunge everything bet- before 2024 and <laughs> throw everything at the wall because we're not going to have Dobbs like then in people's memory. You know what I mean? Like, right. we're not going to have that incentivizing people. But yeah, Ugh, sucks. Yeah. And there's uh, some of the student debt advocates, they say, you know, the uh, White House could have structured it better to to head off some of the, you know, counter strike that was going to come from these right-wing quarters and you know there's an argument for that but yeah it really feels like the whole program is kind of it's cracking the door open for something so that in a subsequent administration could come along and say hey this isn't unprecedented we're just doing more of it sort of thing yeah setting the groundwork that's that's an optimistic way of looking at it look at us being optimists (laughs) um okay one interesting story that i found that i find very funny uh, regardless of whether my cousin is working in the crypto field or not is that fdx collapsed. It's another crypto company that was preventing people from withdrawing funds. It was worth $32 billion, even as early as back in January. It's declared bankruptcy and wiped $60 billion from the market due to how it's impacting the value of other crypto coins as well. Um, FDX's CEO is 30 years old. His name is Samuel Bankman Freed. He was actually the second largest donor in the midterms to the Democrats. Friday, he resigned and FTX filed for bankruptcy and he tweeted out that he was sorry for what happened. Did you see this tweet? Yes. It was, yeah. So he said, I'm sorry. One, I'm sorry. That's the biggest thing. I fucked up and should have done better. Two, I also should have been communicating more very recently. So he had this like whole Twitter thread with an update on what happened. Basically, he created this when he was 28 years old. It's a platform for crypto lending. And he was like through getting all these investments and through that company, like kind of 
skyrocketing. He started to become more involved in politics and he was put personally pushing for like more oversight into crypto in Washington while he had his corporate headquarters in the Bahamas. He was speaking to Democrats and Republicans. Maybe you'll maybe you saw him around Capitol Hill. And that's significant because on Sunday, Chengpeng Zhao of Binance, another company, said he was going to sell off $580 million worth of crypto that FTX had been using to fill its debts. And he tweeted, we're not against anyone, but we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their back. And then everyone fled. FTX suspended withdrawals on November 8th. They tried to get rescued by the same CEO, Chengping Zhao, but then less than 48 hours later, Binance pulled out and they they cited a lack of due diligence and reports of mishandling of customer funds because Bankman Freed asked Zhao to buy the company and then they didn't. And this is like the latest in a series of crypto platforms that have failed, including like Voyager Digital, Celsius, and the hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. It's people are really dunking on him for being young and over like in over his head. What is your take on this story? How could anyone have seen this coming? With That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I'm just in disbelief that a, a high frequency trading uh, currency that doesn't have clear value behind it, that's ba- that who's headquartered in the Bahamas. I'm shocked that someone like that would, would do any of these things. It's very interesting that it's based on the Bahamas where there's very weak financial, uh, lacks regulatory oversight for these kind of financial instruments. Um, you know, if there's even strong oversight anywhere, hopefully this is going to, you know, motivate Congress to do something about it. Because I mean, there's systemic risk to all of this with these things. It's not just if you're, you know, enough of a rube to invest in these things, which is like, I do feel bad for ordinary people that lose money. But it's like, at what point are you going to learn less and that it's like, this stuff is not a safe vehicle for you to put your money in any case, um, you know, when they have the amount of resources invested in these things that they do, if they all come crashing down at the same time, that can have a ripple effect on the financial system. And hopefully that's not something that's going to, one of the great ironies of all this, that's really funny to me is how the crypto peoples uh, in their um, kind of theory of how the world works, they, they said, you know, this is an alternative store of value so we can move away from the tyrannical central banks. And guess what happens the first time that the central banks hike interest rates and make it so that you can't borrow money extremely cheaply is all of the cryptocurrencies go bust. So they're entirely reliant on the system that they said that they were going to overthrow by by moving your money towards cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Anytime somebody says that crypto is decentralized, I'm like, but it's not like it's not regulated. And it, it's just like set by tech bros, which is exactly what happened with like Elon and tweeting about Dogecoin and shit. It's not even held accountable by like voters. Like they can't even it's, do anything. It and really you, is the roaring 20s of like the 2020s now, huh? With yeah. like the state of Wall Street and just how, I mean, just look any, a child could look at this and say, this is out of control. When you have people doing these pump and dumps where they're just tweeting things and selling the cryptocurrency after it goes viral, knowing that that's going to drive up the price. It's like, you don't have to have a degree from the Harvard Business School to realize that this house of cards is not going to stand up for very long. Do you know where Samuel Bankman Freed went to school? (laughs) I'm guessing the Harvard Business School? No, he went to MIT, which is Caltech's rivals, me and your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get him started on that. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I don't really care, but it's fun. I don't understand how he's not arrested. Like, I don't understand how he just was like, I resigned, I'm out. And then the company was like, we're like, who at the company decides next? You know, like. Let me tell you a little story that, that I think will illustrate how, how that whole world works. I was talking to a treasury investigator who used to, you know, do things like track Hezbollah money transfers to make sure that, you know, people aren't um, donating money to terror groups from within the United States, that kind of thing. And so the 
topic of cryptocurrencies comes up and I said, so what is, what is, what do your guys' investigations look like in that domain? He's like, what investigations? I said, what do you mean? He says for the entirety of, he worked for FinCEN. It's called, uh, it's like the intelligence branch of the treasury department. It's part of the treasury that's in the intelligence community. Um, he says, we have basically two computers with licenses to use what's called chain analysis which is it's the software program that can track where the trades are happening. Basically come up with a chain of custody to find out where money is coming from. He's like, we have two computers that have the software because the software is so expensive. And because the government has been so slow to respond to this as a threat factor. He says, how many agents do you think are able to staff two computers? I was like, imagine not much. And then, you know, from getting to know this guy, it became clear to me pretty quickly that there's very little in regards, like technically you can track Bitcoin very easily because there's a ledger and you can like in theory, mathematically, yes, you can. But the execution of doing that and, and using the arcane software and having like the like being able to afford the software and having the resources and everything, it just isn't in place yet. So it's really the wild west, which gets back to my earlier point about systemic risk is I don't think we have any idea the full extent of what exactly is happening. I mean, that's like the inherent problem with crypto in general. And that's why it acts as a pyramid scheme is like the people who can afford the servers and can afford to exactly. mine are the ones who are going to like engage with it the most and benefit from the most, which I found out is like millennials are making money off Gen Z from crypto because like oh, the Gen no. Z one. Yeah, it makes me really sad. I mean, that's also a, a why we have so many like ransomware attacks that are happening now on like pipelines and shit is because they're unable to like track and they're like, it's this like black market for crypto. Mm which is not great, not fun. <laughs> the last story that I wanted to talk about, I don't know if you've been following this, but it's something that I think about a lot personally. One of my dreams is to, I thought, to adopt a child, like a 10 or 12 year old child in like 10 years. But then after listening to the second season of This Land by Rebecca Nagel who's of Cherokee Nation and learning about ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978, it's kind of like made me rethink adoption and like how adoption works and how there's like a market for brown and black children and how there are more people looking to adopt children than there are children who need to be adopted and how a lot of these children are taken from their homes because of poverty rather than abuse mm. because neglect is such a, a flexible term within Punchable, the social, yeah. Yeah, social uh, welfare system. But if you haven't listened to the second, uh, there are two seasons of this land. The first one definitely gave me like a lot more information about tribal lands. And then the second one linked that to this Indian Child Welfare Act law and how tribal sovereignty is at risk right now with the Supreme Court. So this was a law that came to be in 1978 because native children were literally just being taken by like social workers. Like they would, there were stories of like families like running inside when social workers came out. And if the kid didn't get inside quickly, they would get picked up and just taken to be placed in, to be adopted out to like white families because they had this demand for children. And it's based in race, it's based in poverty, it's based in how reservations were created. And basically right now in the Supreme Court, there's a case where Chad and Jennifer Brackeen, who are a white evangelical couple who fostered an Indian child, are fighting to adopt that child against the Indian Child Welfare Act, which prioritizes adoptions to tribes, like within tribes. And what's being argued is that from their side is that Indian tribal groups are race-based and that that's discrimination, 
Whereas these nations are saying it's not necessarily race. It's like a, they're sovereign states. They're their own government. They're their own nations. They don't want that to be questioned. In this podcast that I was listening to, it was crazy how there are all these cases that are happening with like lawyers and like people like tied together to try to destroy the sovereignty of tribal nations through this law by saying that it's race-based and that's discrimination. And so this could like take reservations away from tribes. So it's like, it's really intense. This week, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments and it's looking so bad because of this 6-3 Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Justice Amy Coney Barrett said this is just treating Indian tribes as fungible. Samuel Alito said that before European settlers arrived in North America, quote, tribes were at war with each other. And he doesn't understand why one tribe would have any cultural ties with another tribe because they think that, you know, they're sh- if they're so distinct, like why should it be allowed for tribes to adopt between each other as well? There are like different Indians who live on reservations of other Indian nations and they building that community, which is an argument that the lawyer made, the tribe's lawyer. So five tribes are coming together to kind of to defend this this welfare act. And it's basically been painted to the media as like, oh, we just don't want white people to adopt these kids because they're not part of they're not this race. When in reality it's like these lawyers are trying to pick apart like the the ability for these tribes to like exist at all. Like they're the way they like destroy like listening to the first season the way they just like chop up their land and like take it away and how many times they've like run back on treaties and laws it's it's like it's not shocking because it shouldn't be because we committed genocide but it's also shocking (laughs) you know what i mean like it's horrific i don't know have you heard about this case um i know that when trump first won native groups were raising concerns like very quickly knowing that he might elevate what you know and doing that student debt story What's so amazing to me is how um, the specific Supreme Court justices that Trump appointed, like the the very narrow, it's not just that they're conservatives, they come from a specific wing of the conservative yeah. tendency. They're literally all six of them are uh, former Federalist Society guys. And like the, the, the agreement on what they were going to do was like extraordinary. There's like no, there's hardly any sunlight between any of them, except maybe Roberts to some extent. Um, so I'm not surprised that they're going ahead with this. And it really um, kind of like with with Roe v. Wade, the way that they're willing to just not even have a pretense of, you know, respecting the the um, case law that existed. I don't think they care about pretense for all sorts of things. And I'm sure there's case law around um, tribal lands that they're willing to just, again, not even pretend to have a theory around. There's just whatever. We're going to do what we want. So it's yeah. a very dangerous court. It was kind of a surprising, there was a surprising ruling in 2020 where the court did expand tribal authority in Oklahoma, which was like a huge case that was happening and is covered in the first season. And that ruling was authored by Gorsuch, which was like super surprising. But then in a follow-up case, the court reversed, not their decision, but they reversed, you know, course and they look to widen state power it had to do with like a murder that happened and like where on which land this murder happened and basically tribes were the ones who got to decide if it was like a tribal issue or not and Mm -hmm. then the the judges were kind of the justices who were 
pretty ignorant of it. We're like, so like there could be Indians who like, like rape people and then go back to their land and they get away with it. And like, there is no like recourse for this. It's basically like a, a fear mongering crime situation again, from that, mm -hmm. like, from that angle. And it was really like sad to listen to the dehumanizing ways in which they talked about Indian tribes at having like no idea how any like at, like how they function at all like they really think that they're just like uneducated they have no social systems or like no structures just because they live in like multi-generational homes you know like which is not unusual <laughs> for other like groups you know it's happening right now it's like it's a huge it's a huge case and I think it's going to have a lot of impact on the constitutionality of like whether native land like or you know tribes can exist in the U.S. but it's intense I don't, that was like such a sad thing to end on. <laughs> I'm very bad at these. I'm like, this is an interesting thing. And then I'm like, this is not funny. <laughs> but, so you're like me where you're drawn to the most awful stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it is. I get so mad because I really was like, oh, I want to adopt a kid. And then, and then in the, in the podcast, I even talked to a white couple who was like aware of what was happening and they still went through with the adoption because there are people who like fight for white couples. There are these lawyers whose like whole thing is to like fight this this rule of law and they they still like you know they went they knew all the bad shit that was happening but then they were like I, they're just this child is gonna get placed with another white couple and like why not us and then it's like what is the role of uh, people who want to adopt in in this whole like system knowing like that they're part of this like undermining of of tribes but for me i was like this is a goal i have and then now i'm like should i just like foster for reunification like just be a stable adult in like a, ch a child's life until their family is able to like handle it you know what i mean like it's it's something that i've been thinking about personally as i've gotten older and so that's why i'm like this is like the injustice thing getting under my skin where i'm like we've just like fucked over natives like for so many like so many years one thing that like shocked me was that hitler like based his genocide on right. ours i was oh, when yeah. i learned that i was like my brain is so like my timeline in my head is so weird. I was like, that did happen before. And he did base it off of us. This is fucked up. Again, ending on a high note <laughs> with this. I'm so bad at this. But this brings us to the last segment that I have, which is our mutual aid babe of the week. And you can follow people who know a lot more about uh, Indian issues than me, Rebecca Nagel, the Indian NDN collective in Indigenia on Twitter, I-N-D-I-G-E-N-I-A, also on Instagram. These are great people to follow regarding this case, regarding what's happening with Native land and tribal sovereignty. If you want to get involved with the Indian Collective, you can go to ndncollective.org and click on the Get Involved tab. They're really great for advocating for tribal sovereignty and just like dealing with like climate justice and all sorts of things. They also provide grants and fellowships. Great mutual aid for great organization to work with and now it's time for ken to plug his newsletter <laughs> oh yeah okay first time anyone's hearing this uh check out my newsletter it's on substack kenklippenstein.substack.com hell yeah what and so all of the stuff that's in your newsletter is all the juicy stuff the intercept won't let you publish exactly the stuff um, what they don't want you to know what the elites yeah. don't want you to know and if you have any insider information on Twitter and what's happening there, contact Ken on Signal. Uh <laughs> Please do. Signal number 202-510-1268. Are you constantly getting your phone blown up? Like, how do you handle yes. that? 
Mm, you have uh, almost 500,000 followers on Twitter at Ken Klippenstein, and you have your signal number right up there. I get anxious if I have any, do, do you like check every notification? Do you have to clear well, it? Like we said before, I think for dudes, it's like less, there's less creepy uh, to the interactions. And then it's annoying that you do get trolls and you do get a lot of things that aren't really relevant. And you get a lot of like, I saw a UFO in my backyard, man. Will you write about it? <laughs> like really? I swear it was, it was aliens. I, I swear I saw I kind of, the, yeah. You know, it's funny. So I do so much FOIA. One of my favorite things of FOIA is FOIA of logs. So you can see what everyone else asks for. And when I first got the FBI's FOIA log, I was thinking, wow, there's going to be wealth of knowledge that I can learn from things that people had already requested before. So I don't have to reinvent the wheel and request myself. You know what the most common one was? It was like Roswell, the alien landing. What That was the most, it's like that or like Vince Foster, like Bill Clinton kind of stuff. It's like so much conspiracy stuff was probably like the most common thing requested. I feel like people would rather just look to the skies than what's happening on on Earth right now. It's the Elon I, way, you know what I mean? Just get the <laughs> fuck out of here. It's more fun to think about aliens than it is to think about poverty or what you know, like unions or whatever. <laughs> you don't want to think about aliens. Well, conspiracy conspiracy stuff used to be so much more fun. It was yeah. like much less just like anti-Semitic coded or or you know, whatever it's becoming now. It used to be like X-Files stuff. That was like at least sort of, right, yeah. (laughs) Which was its own form of racism, I feel like. You know what I mean? Why are we chasing, why are we chasing this poor man in his native forest habitat? Leave him alone. He doesn't want to be found. (laughs) He doesn't want to be in fuzzy pictures. (laughs) Stop colonizing Bigfoot. Okay. (laughs) That is the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited. Is there anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to leave us with? Uh, No, just uh, everyone get out there and have a good time. Have a good time. (laughs) He doesn't have a SoundCloud to plug, you guys. He's saying have a good time. Not yet. All right. We'll see what happens with Twitter. Maybe (laughs) I'll have to. Oh, shit. What if you pivot entirely? (laughs) I'll be a SoundCloud guy. SoundCloud SoundCloud rapper? rapper? Hell yeah. (laughs) What would your SoundCloud rapper name be? Oh, God. I don't know. I still have to think about that. K Clip. I don't know. There you go. That's kind of. Full clip. That's what people. Full clip. Full clip. Yeah. Hell yeah. Full clip. Figured it out out. right here. Now I have to. Thank you guys. Meeting adjourned. This episode of the City Council Podcast was written, created, and produced by Paula Viganalan. That's me. The music was written and produced by Ruby Ibarra. Be sure to follow us at City Council, spelled S-E-L, show on Instagram and Twitter for more weekly podcasts and live stand-up comedy shows. To support the show and for exclusive bonus content, please join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash city council show. Thanks for listening.